Well, it's great to be with you ladies this morning. Uh, thankful for another year of Wellspring. And is this is this the 10th, Jamie? Are we a decade in? That's really staggering. Um, and, and to think about the, the, the ways Wellspring ministry has transcended this room, uh, gone beyond the walls of this room, um, into the lives of others is uh, really remarkable. And uh, just to know that... Um, you need to know that your participation in in this ministry uh, is a huge encouragement to me, to the elders. Um, but I but I know uh, long after we're gone, the the fruits of this decade of ministry will uh, perpetuate in the lives of, of many to come. And um, think about my own daughters and just the ways they already benefit, never having yet been in this room. And I look forward to the day that they'll be in this room. And um, it's exciting um, to think about and. Um, what I want to do this morning is kind of put together the wellspring disciplines and talk about how they're related to each other. Um, and so why don't I open us in prayer and then we'll talk through this. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these ladies. Thank you for your word and the principles derived from them upon which this ministry has been based and has thrived and uh, really has um, given a uh, a grid through which to think about life uh, from the heart level lived as worship and living sacrifices before you in a way that uh, spills out over into the lives of others uh, in our homes and into the local church and beyond. Uh, we just ask that you'd be glorified that uh, this morning uh, each would hear what you would have for them to hear. Um, I pray that you would guard my own words. I pray that we would be uh, just eager uh, to have you accomplish what only you can do through your word. And we ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Now, what I have in my mind this morning is is intended to be a little bit interactive, a little bit more conversational. Uh, this morning's discussion will be a little bit more of a practical application of the disciplines together. And so where there is need of clarification, I, I would love for you to just raise your hand or shout um, or text or whatever, uh, hire a skywriter and say, hey, wait, what about what about this? So um, just don't be shy about interrupting this morning, um, interacting, asking questions, etc. I want to think about the wellspring disciplines and, and just to rehearse them, I want you to flip over to the back of your notebooks. We'll put our eyes on these again. Discipline one is the discipline of the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God and particularly the gospel. And discipline number two is the home where a faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. And discipline number three is the ministry. The faithful woman of God with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Um, I'm just so thankful for the ways these disciplines are framed. And I want to talk about how they're intended to be woven together. And we need to think about their relationship. Are they to be sequential? Do number one, then do number two, then do number three. Um, are they listed in an order of priority? Um, which one is more important? If you've got to drop two of them, which one will you keep? Or if you're going to drop one of them, which two will you keep? 
Um, are they potentially antagonistic to one another? Uh, are there times when discipline one will make war against discipline two or discipline three? Um, or are they complementary? So to sort of illustrate the, the relationship between these disciplines, I want to ask you this question. Why do we have car seats? Anybody? Give, give me the reason we have car seats. Okay. To, to protect whom? Oh, to protect our babies, to protect our little ones. Okay, great. Why do we have car seats? It, to, to be legal. Okay, great. And these answers aren't wrong. But you're, you haven't yet said the one that I have in my mind. And I know that's an, uh, just a terrible teaching tactic. I, I have an answer that I want the class to get to. And so I'm going to ask the question, and you're all wrong until you get my answer. You're not wrong, Suzanne. Both of those are right. You've got to be legal, and we want to keep our kids safe. Why do we have car seats? I, I think it's to keep the <gasps> Okay, I hadn't thought of that one, and somebody said that on Thursday morning. Sometimes I just need my kid to be in one spot. <laughs> Tightly strapped down. Not able to escape safely. And the, all of the above, yes. That one had not occurred to me, but that is that is true. And a mother knows that is a reason to have car seats. In fact, some people take their car seats out of their car, place them in the living room, and put the kid. In, you know. Okay, why do we have car seats? You still haven't... To save their lives, yes. That is a correct answer. It's not mine. That is a correct answer. In case of an accident. In case of an accident. We're all hitting on the same themes. Yes, ma'am. Is it to teach them that we follow Okay, yeah. There's a discipleship with Romans 13. We're going to submit to the governing authorities. I'll just tell you my answer. <laughs> to take our kids places. I mean, really, if the goal was safety and legality, we just keep our kids at home. But I actually want to take my kids places. So the fundamental reason of a car seat is to get my kid from point A to point B. Now, I'm thinking about that like utilitarian dad, you know, um, I want to get somewhere and I want my kids to be with me. And yeah, I want them to be safe. And yeah, we got to be legal. And, you know, it's nice that they're strapped in. But you see, transportation and safety don't have to be at odds. Both of those purposes are right and appropriate. They exist. And, and legality and safety and restraint and um, transportation, they, they can all work together. The, the, these things are intended to be complementary, not antagonistic. Um, when, when construction company builds a building, they, they especially like a, a multi-story high-rise condo or shopping plaza or something like that. You see the, the fence going around the outside and signs placarded all over the outside of the construction zone. What do those signs say? Is that the answer you're looking? Oh, I'm so I'm doing I'm doing it again. I'm so sorry. Uh, you, you see the signs that say safety first, safety first, um, and I would contend that. Um, uh, safety first might not be the, the only goal there, but actually to build a building. But no construction company wants to build a building where half of their workforce would lose their lives in the process. And so safety for, first is an important consideration. Um, and yet uh, these 
people, these construction workers, need to have a livelihood. They, they build something for the benefit of others and to earn a living so they can go home and care for their families and do things they want to do. And so building the building is also a consideration. And, and profiting from building the building is a consideration. And so while they wouldn't say profits first, they wouldn't say safety only. Right? Um, and so can we build a building and make a living and be safe. Yes, that's the goal. I would suggest to you that we want to do D1 and D2 and D3. That, that they're not to be in conflict with one another. They're not to be at odds with one another. They're actually supposed to fuel one another. And that's the relationship I want to talk about this morning. Um, really remarkable device is the pendulum. Uh, the, the earliest historical records of the pendulum being used in scientific inquiry were uh, uh, ancient Chinese seismologists uh, who were trying to figure out uh, where is that earthquake coming from? I feel an earthquake. Where is it? And, and they used a, a pendulum, uh, which is a heavy weight on a, on a long rod or a long string on, on, a, on a fulcrum, and it swings. And if, if the things started going that way, they knew, oh, the earthquake is going that direction. Earliest use of the pendulum. In the 1600s, we began to use the pendulum to tell time. The pendulum clock um, would have a sort of constant movement. And you know how a pendulum works. You've got the force of gravity pushing the weight down. So if you bring the, the weight out, gravity is trying to get that weight back to the center, back to the lowest position it can. That's what gravity is trying to do. However, in doing that, gravity has created momentum, which pushes the weight back the other direction, either nearly to or exactly to the same height at which it started. If you somehow had a vacuum and a frictionless fulcrum, uh, a weightless rod, uh, then this just would keep going. And, and it's a good illustration for thinking about the way we bring correction to things that aren't where they're supposed to be. If, if, if we're trying to be at the, the point of equilibrium, where gravity is trying to bring the, the pendulum, um, and we're out here over to the left, um, we want to bring a correction. And sometimes our corrections build up momentum and take us way past where we intended to be. And we're over here, we go, oh man, I need to make a correction over here. I need to get back to there. And the momentum takes us way back over here. Um, that is, a, that is a natural response to seeing something that's wrong, to, to react beyond the correction towards truth over to something way over here. And so what I want to share with you this morning, what I shared with the ladies Thursday morning, really is the fruit of conversations I've been having with the men. Uh, the, the men seeking to apply the build disciplines faithfully in their lives. And, and when Wellspring started, we... Um, we were kind of talking about uh, what are we going to call this ministry? We want to take the, the benefits of the ministry that we've had with the men and in building these disciplines into their lives. Uh, and we want to see it applied um, and have the ladies benefit from it, too. I was voting for the name Buildette. <laughs> I thought it was a I thought it was a great name. It, it didn't take off. <clears throat> um, Wellspring won out. And I guess that's all right. But what I've experienced in, in speaking with the men and interacting with the men um, in relationship to the build disciplines is, is something of seeing the build disciplines being a corrective 
to something that's been sort of normal, I would say, in in church circles in in the Christian life. And 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 the the normal in in a lot of churches is if a man has a pulse, put him in ministry. If a man is showing up, have him lead a, a Bible study. Uh, if a man utters a theological phrase, um, give him disciples. And and oftentimes in in church culture, the 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 leadership of the church is trying to get servants involved and doing things as much as they can. And so the expectation is, anytime the doors are open to the church, everybody's got to be there. And the pressure is laid on, why weren't you at Wednesday night service? Well, I was at Wednesday morning prayer. Yeah, but why weren't you at Wednesday night service? Well, uh, because my kids were sick. I mean, it just it, the, the the pressure is put on just to attend and and be a part and 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 so. Uh, a lot of the guys coming to Grace Bible Church have been way over here doing all kinds of church ministry, all, all kinds of church activities, and yet their families are left in the dust. And what are they doing to be shepherds over their own souls? Are they caring for their own hearts? Are they meeting with the, the God of the Word in the Word of God on a daily basis, on a regular basis to, to, to feed themselves so that they're of benefit in their homes, so that when they step into ministry in the church, uh, wife and, and kids aren't saying, hey, dad, what about us? What do we chop liver? You're a rock star at the church, but why don't we get the fruits of your discipleship and theological instruction and care and love and just time? When are you going to wrestle us on the carpet in the living room floor, etc.? And so uh, the, the guys here have really grasped on to the, the, the principle, and you ladies too have, that um, you, you can't expect to go out there and be doing ministry while your home is in shambles and your heart's not being cared for. So let's shore up what's invisible to the world, but very visible before God. And, and then let's let our ministry in our homes be the outgrowth of our pursuit of the Lord personally from the heart. And then let's let our ministry in the local church be the outgrowth of our ministry and our closest relationships. Now, whether it's roommates, whether it's siblings, whether it's a child-parent relationship, whether it's parents to children, a marriage, etc. Um, whatever those relationships are, um, let those be the fertile soil from which ministry in the church springs. So um, what, what we've seen uh, with, with the men at times is um, this correction going, yeah, the, the heart and the home. And where does the, where does the ball stop? Is an important question. I want to think through that. And, and I want to think through it in, in a little bit of a, a ridiculous way for a moment. Can you imagine uh, dad coming home from, from work and he had an early morning meeting at the office and, and he's been all day at, at, at the office and he comes home and he realizes, you know what, I, I haven't read my Bible yet today. I need to spend time with the Lord. And so he walks in, gives a casual greeting to, 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 to wife and the kids and uh, walks into his study, closes the door, and sits at his desk with his Bible for the next two hours. And mom says, oh, I love my husband. That he would pursue the Lord at six, from 6 to 8 p.m. is just awesome. Praise be to God. <laughs> what? Isn't that discipline one? Aren't you excited? <laughs> Why are you not excited about that? Why are we not excited about that? <laughs> I'm going to drink my coffee while you answer. Why are we not excited about that? Because those are the hours that mom needs him to be helping and pouring into the family. 
after she's been with those kids all day long, and those two are the hardest hours of the day. Yeah. Young moms. Yeah. What what is the what is the front burner of that man's Christian life before the Lord and worship in those hours in those moments? It's D two. And you can't say, you know what, I haven't done D1 well today, so i got to do that first. Man, you can't do that. <laughs> you, you have to step into your home. And you need to be asking the question, um, why am I not prepared for D2 in these moments? I can't sacrifice D2 on the altar of D1. I need to shore up D1 in a way that I'm actually prepared to be doing D2, because that need is urgent. Uh, I need to be caring for my home well as an outgrowth of my worship before the Lord. Um, so, I mean, uh, th- that's that's kind of a, a ridiculous scenario. And, and, and when I talk about that with the men, they laugh too. You need to know that. They, they know that's <laughs> that's not the way things should be. But let's just move that forward a little bit. And think about the relationship between D2 and D3. Um, if, again, I'll, I'll just speak from, from interactions with men who, again, we're making a wonderful correction from you got to be at church every time the doors open. You got to step into ministry. You got to be seen. You got to be known. Uh, you got to be uh, a rock star visibly at church. Um, wait a second. I, I, I need to be faithful in my home. I need to be in pursuit of the Lord from the heart daily. Um, this is this is a good correction, um, but 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 I've had men um, that have not been leading their families well into the ministry of the local church, um, and and they'll couch it in terms of you know what I got to do D two. It, it's been a busy week, um, it's been a busy month, and you know we really need family movie night. Thursday night's the night. What about small group? You know what? Um, we we just been going to stuff all the time. We we had uh, sports on Monday and Tuesday. The kids have had homework. Um, we were out of town last week. We I mean, it, life is filled up with good responsibilities, work, recreation, hobbies, sports, whatever else it is, entertainment, and it crowds out the margins of D three. But nobody wants to say that. Hey, can I, can I ask you about small group? Can I ask you about what, what it means to be involved in the ministry and body life of the local church in terms of just the one another commands the New Testament enjoins upon believers? I know small group's not the only way to accomplish those things, but small group's a significant way the elders have provided at Grace Bible Church for believers to do that. Um, you seem not to be making that a priority. You know what? Um, we, I, I'm really working hard on, on discipline too. And, and discipline, too, becomes the, the sort of Grace Bible Church lingo camouflage for fleshly pursuits. Well, nobody's going to say, you know what, I've been filling my life with entertainments and hobbies and, and kids sports. And, you know, we prioritized a two-family income because of the standard of living we want to have and fill in the blank. Nobody's going to say that. And so small group is lower on the priority list after all those things. The margins have not really been cut because, oh, I've been pouring into my family. We've really been working on some spiritual needs in my family. Um, But that's what gets painted. And so 
Again, I, I've been praying all this week, and, and, and we prayed again this morning, that, that, that you would hear this morning what you need to hear. I'm, I'm painting with broad brushes based on uh, experiences I've had interacting with people. I wouldn't want you to hear me wrongly. I, I, I would want you to assess your own season of life and situation appropriately before the Lord. Um, but, but this is a, a, just a misconception that I've seen enough times in the relationship between the disciplines that it's worth addressing. So I want us to look at a couple of scriptures. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 34 to 39. And I know, I know in a lot of um, sort of popular evangelical circles, uh, the, the family has been elevated in a way that's probably out of balance with the scriptures. Um, you know, there are some sort of family first ministries out there that define the Christian life or even the bedrock of Western civilization and society on the, on the foundation of the family. Um, and, and as much as the scriptures value the family and, and God loves the family, ordered the family, designed the family, um, there is something that trumps family. And this is what Jesus reveals in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Now this is not an endorsement from Jesus to take a sword into your household and start fights with your family members. Uh, that would not be what Jesus is referring to here. In fact, the, the dividing line that Jesus sets up here is the gospel. The, the, the line in the sand that, that is going to defi, div, uh, divide family members, the, the closest relationships under the sun, um, is the line of the gospel. Uh, that is, there, there are times where the, where the gospel itself will divide a husband and a wife or parents from their children. And, and I, can't, I can't really think of anything more tragic or more sad than that as one who has lost family members outside of Christ. It is a, an eternal tragedy. Um, and yet Jesus says this is a reality, that, that the gospel actually makes divisions in the family. And, and you can't make the unity of the family at the expense of the gospel and still follow Christ. And the principle underneath that is underlined in verses 38 and 39. Jesus says, He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it. And what Jesus has in mind here is if you've located your life, your, your very life, your reason for existence, the totality of who you are, your identity, if you have found it under the sun, if you found it in this life, if you found it in temporal things, you're going to lose it. And it means if you've made the priority of your life family relationships over and against the gospel, then you've located your life in temporal things. And, my friends, you, you will lose it. But if you've made your life about eternal realities, then you will find it. 
And so what that means for families is this is not an endorsement for you to have free license to show hatred to the, those closest to you in this life. The, the point is, if you are not bringing eternal realities into those relationships, um, then, then, then we've missed Jesus' design for those relationships. And we've actually missed what it means to be a follower of Christ. So when we think about a discipline like D2, and, and, and many of us, that discipline means evangelism with people who have not yet crossed that line through the gospel into union with Christ. Um, when you think about D2, you, you are thinking in terms of eternal realities with those family members. This is why, you know, we can't be at small group tonight or, you know what, Sunday morning's really tough because we were up all night, um, you know, watching a, a Star Wars marathon and we really just need to sleep. We need some D2. And D2 means uh, asleep on a Sunday morning. It's ridi that's ridiculous, right? Um, but but we've, we've replaced eternal reality D2 with a temporal family time. And those aren't the same things. Family time and D2 are not necessarily the same thing. Um, a right version of discipline two means how do I prepare my home effectively to step into the local church and benefit from and participate in the service of others in local church ministry, and then even beyond the local church. Um, that is the goal of discipline two, even as the goal of discipline one is to equip dad to be faithful in his home. Faithfulness in the home is designed to equip a home to be faithful with the gospel beyond the walls of the home. Uh, these things are not to be at odds with each other. They are to be complementary. And, and really, they fuel one another. Because if, if, if discipline one, discipline two, and discipline three are, are working appropriately, they actually feed each other. Listen, I, I know what it's like to, to step into, into my home and have five kids during Bible time on a, on a, a, at night before we go to bed ask questions that I can't answer. You know what it makes me want to do? Go back before the Lord with my Bible open. And, and I know what it means to bring my home into the ministry of the local church. And, oh, there are ways we need to grow to equip them better to effectively serve others in the context of the local church. And ministry with people in the local church pushes me back to have my Bible open before the Lord. Uh, these things are intended to fuel one another. I want you to, to see uh, in Ephesians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4... Some important principles as it relates to uh, the ministry of the local church. I'm going to look first at Ephesians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 7. Um, Paul says, of which... And he's referring to the gospel from verse 6. Of the gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. What I want you to see in this really thick section of Ephesians 3 is that God has appointed Paul to a specific ministry to to know the gospel, to know God through the gospel, and then to make God known through the gospel to others. And, And the purpose for which God was doing that through Paul was to actually make known a mystery that God had kept hidden for some time, but was now revealing. And that mystery is the church. Birthed in Acts 2, uh, the combination of Jews and Gentiles together in one body, um, reconciled to one another and reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, And God did that, verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, God is doing something in the local church that transcends time and space. God is putting his own wisdom on display in front of spiritual rulers, angels, demons, Satan himself, the the, the ruling powers and authorities in the spiritual realm. God is putting his wisdom on display there through the church. So that the, the church, and, 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 and the church is true that it's, it's every believer in Jesus Christ in a universal or corporate sense, but uh, 102 times out of the 110 times that church is used in the New Testament, it always refers to local churches. And, and even, those, even those times where church might be pressed into sort of a universal idea, it's always connected to local churches. Like at the introduction of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church as it finds itself at Corinth. There's, there's one of those few uses of a universal idea of church, but it's located. And so what God is doing significantly through the ministry of a local body of believers, us humble knuckleheads, locked together in fellowship, transcends what we're doing here. It, it, it is beyond the realms of this wall what God is putting on display in his wisdom to the ruling authorities and powers in the spiritual realms. And he says in verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which God carried out through Jesus Christ. It, it just means that what God is doing here in a wellspring ministry, what God is doing in Sunday mornings when we gather, what God is doing as you share core questions in a small group together, as you bear one another's burdens, is in accord with the eternal purposes for which God sent his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, local church ministry is not just social gathering stuff. It's eternal, grounded in the very purposes of God. And I think we have a low view of the church, frankly. I know I do. I don't often see church this way. I I think about activities and a schedule and busyness, but how often am I really thinking about God's mystery now revealed, his proclamation of his manifold wisdom before eternal uh, or before spiritual powers and the proclamation of his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus? Uh, This is is God's high view of the church, and and we get to participate. It's an immense privilege. Um, What do I want to do as I'm thinking about uh, pursuing the Lord from the heart. I, I want to be one who is grounding my home with a high view of God's eternal purposes through Christ Jesus in the church. I want to equip my family well to participate in what God loves, to, to participate in the things that transcend time and space and temporal realities. I would say effective discipline too is equipping and leading and serving your home 
to help the members of your household be effective in ministry in the church and in the world. That's effective discipline too. I'll say it one more time. Effective discipline too is equipping, leading, and serving your home to help the members of your household unto effective ministry in the church and in the world. That is the design of of discipline too. To say, you know what, I can't do discipline three this week. I really need to focus on discipline two. Uh, we're missing what discipline two is. <laughs> um, to, to, to think, you know what, um, small groups gotta gotta go by the wayside this week. We we really need family time. Um, well, uh, I recognize there are seasons for that. I want you to hear all the appropriate uh, caveats and exceptions. What I'm talking about here are patterns, not the exceptions. Uh, you're all thinking about, well, there was that one time that we skipped, and I just really wanted to. <laughs> I don't want you to think about the exceptions. I, I, I want you to think about patterns in your life and, and the aim of your life and the intention of your life. How am I setting up my own heart and my own home well to go after the things that, that God is interested in? Let's keep reading in Ephesians 3. Look at Paul's prayer beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, so that he would grant you, according to the rich of his, of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's remarkable discipline one reality here. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What a remarkable prayer that you would pursue the Lord in such a way that you would know his love which goes beyond your ability to know. To know something unknowable, to know personally, relationally, intimately that which transcends your ability to comprehend. What a, what a, what a staggering thing to think about the, the privilege of coming before the Lord and, and meeting with him in his word. And the things we get to know. This isn't just about getting some information. Winning a theological argument. Uh, puffing up pride. This is about knowing the God of the universe. Being humbled by him. And being grounded in his love that flows out into the lives of others. And, and you know that Ephesians carries significant discipline to realities. Ephesians chapter six, chapter 5. Husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter 6. Parents and children. Um, these things are all critical. I left a phrase out of Paul's prayer. If you're reading carefully. Um, what did I leave out in verse 18? Yeah, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God. That's discipline three. And, and it's critical that we understand that, 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 that there is a, a relationship that you and I are to have with others in the body of Christ where our interaction and experience of the love of God is designed to overflow into and listen, what do we want for our homes? For, for the members of our household to experience those very same things. I want you to think about Ephesians 4.16. Look, look over the page there. And, and, and this uh, complicated, uh, wordy, uh, maybe difficult to understand verse... <laughs> really begins its theme back up in verse 11, that Jesus gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, 
um, for a purpose, for the equipping of the saints, verse 12, for the building up um, of the body. Uh, the, the idea is that um, it, it, it's not Scott Maxwell's or Scott Demarest or Smedley Yates' job to do the ministry of the church, but to equip saints for the work of the ministry. That's why Grace Bible Church is an equipping model church. That we're trying to be obedient to Ephesians 4.12. The, the, the best evangelists are, are not the guy up front that everybody brings their friends to to come hear that great evangelist. The best evangelists are you well-equipped with the gospel to go into every uh, cul-de-sac and cubicle and uh, community and classroom and whatever other C you might come up with, um, and, and, and to proclaim Christ through the way you live and through the words that you say. Um, and so pastors and teachers, etc., have been given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And verse 13 says, until we attain the unity and the knowledge of Christ... By the way, we don't get unity by looking at each other and compromising on our differences. We get unity by both of us aiming at the Word of God. And the closer we are to the Word of God, the closer we are to each other. That's true biblical unity. It's a phony unity when you cast aside biblical convictions to try to compromise with someone who doesn't hold those convictions. That's not unity. That's compromise. Um, but we, we gain a real biblical true unity being built up grounded in the knowledge of God's word, getting closer and closer to each other until we all attain to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. The result of that, verse 14, is we're not children being tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but we are, verse 15, truthing one another in love. Speaking the truth in love. It's, it's one word in the Greek. Paul has probably invented a verb out of a noun. We like to do that. Have you Googled it? Right, We, we do that. But I think um, that, that there's really good evidence that this word, truthing, wasn't a verb until Paul used it that way. Truthing one another in love. Um, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who's the head, who is Christ. From whom, verse 16, that was a long intro into verse 16, uh, from Christ, the whole body. And then you don't get to the, the verb of the, the subject. The subject is the whole body. You don't get to the verb until the end of the verse. The whole body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is a critical principle. What is it that brings about the growth, the kind of growth we just looked at, the growth of maturity, unity around the, the truth of God in Christ, maturity and uh, discernment? Where do we, what causes that? The, the body causes the growth of the body. Uh, the church brings about church growth. Um, and, and how does the body do that? And, and it's important that Paul is using here the analogy of a body. A physical body has interconnected, interdependent, organically fused parts that work together. And, and, and you don't cut off your elbow when it's uh, uh, in pain uh, because that actually has a dramatic effect on the forearm and the upper arm. You, the elbow needs the rest of the body and the rest of the body needs the elbow. You stub your toe, the whole body feels it somehow. Um, and, and so it's important that, that the, the analogy of a body used for the church, we understand that all of us are interconnected, interdependent, organically fused parts of one another. Paul says to the Corinthians, don't you know that you are members of one another? And, and so those, uh, those parts fuse together uh, Paul says in verse 16, being fitted and held together by every joint of the supply, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth. How does the body cause the growth of the body? Well, there are two important features. Number one, they have to be fitted together. 
Paul says, being fitted together by every joint of the supply. Um, we, we think of joints often as knees or elbows, you know, where bones connect. But Paul has in mind where any parts of an organic body fit together, where sinews and ligaments and maybe even at the cellular level where things go together. It, Paul has in mind that the parts of a body are fitted together and where any two parts of the body come together, there is a joint of supply. There's a joining that actually brings about energy, power, vitality for the process of the growth of the whole body. And, and when you and I are not together, it stunts the growth of the body. How does the body grow? Well, the body causes growth of the body being fitted together at every joint of supply. Where is the supply for growth of the church? When the members of the body are joined together. That's critical. Absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence stunts the growth of the body. And the second critical aspect here is that the, each individual part is working properly. According to the proper function of each individual part. Uh, that makes sense. You've got to be together and the individual parts have to be working together. Um, and we see this if, you know, if, if, um, if someone is uh, reading her Bible every day, She's uh, pouring her needs out before the Lord. She's casting her cares on the Lord. She is uh, drinking in the truth of God's word. And she wants to be changed by God's word. And most of all, she just wants to know God. And she's in that pursuit on a daily basis. And she's confessing sin. Um, and, and you bump into her. <laughs> what do you expect from, from someone who is engaged with God in that way? The overflow of love from God, overflow of love to God, spilling out on you. And you know what? You're encouraged by that. You meet somebody like that. You meet somebody whose love for Christ is just contagious, and it affects you, spilling all over you. And what does that make you want to do? Oh, man, I, I need to go read my Bible. And I want to read my Bible like that. Um, I need to pray more. Oh, I need to bring these truths into my home better. Uh, it's just, it's, it, it, it's very encouraging. And growth is happening because there's a joint of supply and that part is working properly. And, and in fact, when I'm encouraged because that brother in Christ is encouraged or when you're encouraged and that sister in Christ is encouraged, you're encouraged by her encouragement over you're being encouraged by her encouragement. <laughs> and it's not one plus one equals two. It's like one plus one equals four and a half. Uh, there, there is exponential encouragement and growth in that. And then guess what happens? You go home because you were encouraged. You read your Bible. There's a chain of events into the lives of other women in the church. And it just creates a, a contagious culture of pursuit of Christ at the heart level. And that just changes everything. Now, flip that around. Let, let, let's say I, I haven't been reading my Bible. Um, my, my prayers are dry, cold, or non-existent. I'm not on short accounts with God over my sin. I haven't been sharing the gospel with people. Um, and, and, and you bump into me. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. Guns and sports. and I don't know. Just temporal things. There is a, there, by the way, there is a God-glorifying way to talk about guns and sports. Make that very clear. But if my mind is only wrapped up in temporal things, what are you going to get from me? You're not going to get the encouragement that you otherwise would have had if I'm in hot pursuit of the Lord. And, and the, the, the issue is I'm actually stunting the growth of the body. I'm, I'm not working properly as an individual part. And I'm actually robbing from the body what the body needs from me. 
Listen, I, I, I know that some of our, uh, our mindsets can very easily become self-absorbed when we think, you know, it's, it's, it's Wednesday night again and this is small group night and man, we're just so tired. We're just worn out. I think what we really need is family movie night. And I just want to ask, how, number one, how do you know that's what you need? How do you know that's what you need? How do you know that you weren't going to show up at small group and the very things that God knew that you needed were there from the encouraging words of a brother or sister in Christ? How do you know it's not what your family needed to actually be present at small group and to be encouraged? And then the second question is, um, how do you know that the small group didn't need you? How, how do you know that, that your presence in small group um, was not going to be what the, the Lord had in mind, had designed for you to be an encouragement to others. And so we just need to think about why are my margins so tight? What are the priorities of my life? Am I thinking about the relationship between discipline one and discipline two correctly? Am I thinking about the relationship between discipline two and discipline three correctly? In other words, is my pursuit of the Lord actually forming in me a desire to minister selflessly in my home? And is the ministry in my home uh, formulating a desire in me to lead my home, serve my home, condition my home in such a way that they're prepared well to serve others in the context of the local church? And, and then even beyond the walls of the local church. Um, I, I know that speaking to ladies about this is a little bit different than speaking to the men who have a responsibility for leadership in the home. And yet you cannot neglect the effect that you have in your home when you pursue these things in a God-pleasing way and trust the Lord with your pursuit and the results that they have. Um, and again, I, I would just want you to hear very carefully. There are seasons. There are exceptions. I, I want us to think about patterns and priorities. Um, and, and with all of that said, I'd love to hear what questions do you have, clarifications, um, concerns, comments. Sir. Okay, so you you are preaching, you're entering sports, you're small groups, you have elder elder meetings. I'm sure you don't sleep very much. What does that look like on a practical level? With Thank I mean, you. I, I just can't imagine you have any margin in your life that I've been I've been told that your family feels loved and cared for. And I just don't know how there's not like 72 hours in your day. <laughs> yeah. What does that, what does that look like? Um. I, I appreciate that, Sarah. And I do pay my kids well to say that they're, <laughs> uh, they're paid. They're paid. Um, I would hate to, to put my life as the example to follow. And, and I feel very sheepish about answering the question in the way that you're asking it. I don't want to shy away from it, but I, I feel shy about it for, for a significant reason. Um, don't tell anybody this, but I, I do have the best job in the world. I mean, my livelihood comes from being here at the church and spending time with godly people. I mean, listen, I, I try to encourage others to share the gospel at work, and I'm totally a hypocrite. Um, there, there's something sort of artificial about my life in terms of, of what I'm describing. Um, and yet, I have to fight. And I have to fight for the margins of my life to do things appropriately. There was a time in my life where I slept four and a half hours a night, and it was great. Energizer bunny, and we had zero kids. We were uh, newly married. We were in ministry, and we, I mean, we were uh, eight days a week at the church. 
Um, and, and then we had one kid, then two, then three. And that was unsustainable. And for us, the build and wellspring disciplines were a serious corrective. So you just learned this was autobiographical. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and, and when we came here 11 years ago, you know, I, I don't know if I actually owned a briefcase, but I felt like I showed up with a tie, a coat, and a briefcase at the offices of Grace Bible Church. And Tom said, what are you doing here? Go home. You just moved here. Spend two weeks with your family and get to know the area and move into your house and unpack your boxes. <laughs> Otherwise, you're fired. You know, just a different environment. And so um, the, the, the emphasis on being a shepherd in your home has been such a help. What does it look like practically? I'm avoiding answering your question. I'm sorry, Sarah. And I'm long-winded. I make a short story long. Um, Janet is remarkable. Um, she has certain gifts in terms of logistics and administration that make certain things efficient. Um, not everybody is as efficient as, as Janet is, and not everybody has the energy that she has. You have to do with what God has given you the appropriate things to make the priorities right. Um, and so uh, I, I love the, the, the balance of things in our life right now. It's, it doesn't seem hard um, to us. If it did, we would change things. Um, we would have to create space where space needed to be created. And I, I recognize the application of the things we're talking about today. For some in this room might be, you know what? <laughs> there are some people I've been meaning to have this conversation with, and I just needed to have the words. For some of you, you're thinking about, hey, I've been down this road. Um, uh, I, I've learned some things. I didn't do it perfectly, but I'm eager to uh, help others do it well. You're thinking in terms of discipleship. Some of you are thinking, you know what, we need to tweak some things. And some of you might be thinking, ooh, we need to sell our house and I need to get a different job. <laughs> I mean, there's a spectrum of how, how do I think about these things rightly? And, and for some, it might mean drastic changes. And for some, it might mean tweaks. And for others, it might mean just, wow, that was really encouraging. That was affirming. I recognize everybody's in a different spot. Um, and, and Sarah, how many kids do you have? Like 13? <laughs> Five, by the way, is the perfect number. Um, but all under the age of three and a half. What is it? Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And good. Um, and there's a different season coming for you. Um, and so, you know, it, it, you, you, can't, you can't hear what I'm saying now and say, oh my goodness, my kids have only been sick since January 2nd. And say, you know what, we're going to bring all of that to small group. You can't. You need to hear what you need to hear in this and not what I don't want you to hear. But I can't even, I can't even ask a straight question and you answer what's in my head. So um, I, just, I just want to be very careful about... the. I'm responding to some things that have been overcorrected. And, and you need to hear what the Lord has for you. Um, and so um, I think season by season, you just practically work that out. And if you find yourself um, falling out of love with the local church, then it's not that D3 is off. D2 and D1 are off. So I'd rather just answer that in principle. So, what else? Of, from the woman's perspective and trusting God I mean 
spouse's workings in your husband to follow through with your discipline in your home and how you can come alongside him to work these things out instead of turning it around to be like looking on him negatively like mm-hmm. he's not doing his part or whatever it is. Yeah, no, you're, you, you have to understand your role and your participation in this um, is, is a matter of prayer and worship first. It's invisible things that no one can see. That's, that's the first role in this. Um, and, and when you think about how do I serve my home well to, to have discipline one, discipline two, and discipline three work themselves out, um, you, you want to be serving your home in such a way that they are freed up to serve the church and you want your love for the local church to be infectious and contagious. Um, you can't be in the mindset that says, I tell my husband to lead all the time. Uh, there's, a, there's a leadership role there that's misplaced, right? Um, so it's a great question. And, and the answer is you need to do what you should do before the Lord and you have to trust him. You have to trust him. But you, you want to make it easy for your home to uh, think outside their own box. And by the way, there's a, there's a temptation to think in, in all of these disciplines. How in the world can I tell somebody else to do what I'm not doing well? Right? I mean, this, is the, this is the crisis in, in discipling someone. This is the crisis in teaching. Every, everyone who's taught Wellspring this year has felt this every time they've taught. I'm going to be teaching beyond my own ability to obey. Right? Preaching on Sunday morning is terrifying in part because you're preaching above your own ability. And the reason for that is um, the reason for that is the standard is not me. My, my ability to obey Christ, my love for Christ, is not the standard of Christian love for Christ and obedience. Um, we are pointing beyond ourselves to the scriptures. And when you say, um, follow me as far as I follow Christ, and Jesus is the standard, um, we're, we're pointing to people to truths that are beyond us in a sense. And, and the difference between doing that and being a hypocrite, right? A hypocrite is saying, do as I say, not as I do. The, and, and the hypocrite is, is one who's not on short accounts with God, who's not confessing his sin, who doesn't admit his weakness, but who wants others to follow a standard that he isn't even, isn't even aiming at, right? But, but genuine discipleship involves, hey, let's walk together towards that thing I haven't got totally wired yet. Um, and, and, and that's the goal. And so um, you can't wait until you've got D1 squared away before you step into your home with D2. Um, the, the goal here is not perfection and then move on. But all these things working together in, in, in the hands and hearts of uh, very imperfect people dependent on the Lord in all of it. Janet. Barb. I don't know who to pick. It was like, it was a tie, and, and I just, I, I, I picked, I, you know, I'm related to Janet. I'm not
We know you are absorbed in the word all day long. This is your life, but this is an example for us. We need to be absorbed in the word of God. And if we're not doing that for however many minutes we can, you know, give to the Lord a day, we need to work on that and do it more and have that word in our hearts where it controls our lives. It works out. Um, the Lord knows Yeah, if you're aiming at all three disciplines well in their proper proportions, you will come up with really practical ways to do that. Thank you. Barb? Can you speak a little bit to those of us who are living by ourselves right mm -hmm. now? And yep. how, how do we pour ourselves into these two? I think I know, but I can't mm -hmm. figure Well, I I, I that was my next that. question. I wanted to, I'm going to put you on the spot, Barb. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Could would you? Could we hear from you what you're doing? I've never been in that role. Okay. It's a very different role than I've had before, but um, I think I had the blessing of well, I do have the blessing of having a daughter and three grandchildren and a son in law close by. So I'm able to do that. But what God has really been teaching me, I mean convicting me of, starting with Amelia Brink, believe it or not, those of you who knew her, she continues to be a great I mean, like almost a granddaughter of mine. She's that young. Um, is to reach out more to and have people into my home. This was very hard for me when my husband first divorced me because I'd always done it together as a team, and I just felt like, well, no couples are going to want to come over. There's not a man here, and she really encouraged me, and I've been able to do that. Um, it's still not easy, but God has blessed me through it. So I've expanded from. I always saw that just as my own children when my son's family was in town. You know, reaching out to them, reaching out to my grandchildren when I'm with them, trying to pour into them as much as I can of who Jesus is. And um, I still, that's my top priority. That's still what I love doing. But God is expanding that into where I'm becoming more comfortable and being able to invite other people into my house. So if I haven't invited you, please let me know. Because uh, I have a very small yes and I know. <laughs> Well, Barb, you, you hit on a, a really important principle, and it, it relates to, you think about somebody like the Apostle Paul, um, who at the time of his writing of the New Testament was 
was not married. I don't know if he had been previously married, but he had a lot of freedom. Um, and he made his household. Look, you just read the, the ends of all the letters. Greet so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And you see the depth of love, of intimate relationships that he forged in the body of Christ. And, and Jesus promised the disciples who said, hey, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus' response was, in this life and in the next, houses, brothers, lands, etc. And so God can forge um, D2 relationships beyond blood. And he does that. And I'll just say in front of you, Barb, to the rest of the ladies, um, spending uh, a week with Amelia in Maui Roro, um, she mentioned you multiple times. And um, it's been fruitful. So, yeah. So I would say to, to you contemplating Barb's question, do, do what she's done. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, you know, the similar question uh, in my mind is thinking through what do, what do you do in an in a unequally yoked marriage, uh, difficult relationship. Um, there are ways to think through what D2 looks like there. What does it look like as an empty nester? What does it look like when you're retired? What does it look like when you have five kids under the age of five? I mean, there's a whole spectrum of, of seasons and times where that looks different. Um, I think about this room, and I think about the grandchildren represented by this room. Um, and and the, the intentional grandparenting that goes on from this room, um, that that's thrilling to think about. Um, that is that is effective D2. It's, it's one of those things um, that no matter what season you're in, you know, if you're a 16-year-old daughter in a home uh, learning these principles, or, um, you know, my, my grandmom went home to be with the Lord uh, and recently, and um, her last years were by herself forging new ministry relationships with the people that live next door. Um, and wherever you are in that spectrum, there's application here. So, any other thoughts? Um, just in the, the whole lesson, um, what is imperative is remember to not compare yourself mm. among yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you can't look at everybody and say, gosh, I'd like to, oh, I'm not doing it like she is, or because it's totally different. We have to compare ourselves to the Word mm-hmm. and how God looks
had our grandkids, great grandkids, and you know, the, the husbands and the spouses and all that. So um, that's just a, a big thing that I always have to remember. You know, consider yourself among yourselves. Yolanda, I can't think of a better uh, encouragement to, to close our time. Um, the, the, the comparison to others is not helpful because we only see what's outside. That, that's an incentive for us to be close enough to each other to see our warts, to, to confess our sins to one another, and um, all recognize what Tom Ingstead often says, I'm just one beggar helping another beggar find bread. Um, so thank you for that. All right, let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for your kindness that you would allow us the privilege of knowing you at all, uh, that we would be loved by you and brought into your family. Um, God, I just pray uh, for the ladies here. I, I thank you for this past year and this past decade of this ministry. And we pray for a, a fruitful summer of um, pursuit of you, of uh, loving our homes and close relationships well, and, and, and serving them in such a way to um, have an impact in the ministry of the church, which you've designed to display your wisdom uh, throughout the universe and throughout time. And uh, we ask these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.